0: Today on The Novelizers, Robot Chicken's Kevin Shinnick, comedian Aparna Nancherla, plus Vic Michaelis and intern Kevin Carter. Now here's your host, Andy Richter.
1: It was a sweltering summer day in Philadelphia, July 4, 1776, when a group of radicals, revolutionaries and misfits known as the Continental Congress gathered in a stuffy room to take the biggest risks of their and their country's young life. Little did they know that a few scrawled signatures on a parchment later, the course of history would be altered forever. Unfortunately for us, the movie Independence Day has absolutely nothing to do with any of that boring history shit. Instead, it's about a bunch of aliens who want to blow up all the most famous landmarks on Earth for no good reason and then some American fighter pilots who try to blow up the aliens. Today, we're taking that movie and turning it into a piece of written work. Could the writing we do on this podcast change the world, much as the Declaration of Independence did all those years ago? No, but just by asking the question, I'm tying this intro up in a nice little bow. And speaking of nice little bows, here's my intern Kevin to tell us where we are in the story so far.
2: Sure thing, Andy. So a bunch of alien spaceships have started to surround Earth. President Whitmore is at the White House worrying about his shitty approval rating. Jeff Goldblum is a brilliant but overqualified IT guy playing chess with his super Jewish dad. And Randy Quaid is this crazy conspiracy kook who is also playing a crazy conspiracy kook in the movie. Everyone's getting kind of nervous about the aliens, but no one knows what's up yet. Thank you,
1: Kevin. And speaking of people named Kevin, our next chapter was novelized and narrated by writer and actor Kevin Shinnick. Kevin, novelize
3: us. Chapter 3, The Peekabooter, written and narrated by Kevin Shinnick. The aliens approached the Earth the same way they did in the 1950s and countless times thereafter. Cautiously, covertly, and with plenty of sunscreen. To make sure they were always up to date on the latest human trends, tactics, and defensive maneuvers, the aliens had devised an instrument called the Peekabooter, which allowed them to scan different parts of the planet for intel at any time. Much like a radio, the peekabooter could jump from one conversation to another, interpret subtext, and, if timed well, win tickets to a Britney Spears concert. The aliens were determined not to wind up like those other aliens in the movie War of the Worlds, who had not done their research and fell prey to a virus. But to be fair, it was the shared belief that it was the alien species themselves who brought about their downfall by refusing to believe in medicine something they started questioning after hanging out with the Scientologist aliens from the movie Battlefield Earth. The fact that Tom Cruise was also the lead in War of the Worlds was lost on no one. As the alien in charge of the peekabooter, known as Spaceman Jack, turned the dial, the sound of static permeated the airwaves until it settled on a conversation happening inside the White House. Mr. President, we have an AWAC off the West Coast said a man with a gravelly voice the alien assumed was a general because normal people don't talk like that. Spaceman Jack could tell President Bill Pullman was thinking, I've got a whack for you right here. Since if the aliens had learned anything, it was that humans tend to make sexual innuendos out of almost anything. But since the president knew AWAC meant airborne warning and control system, and, well, he was the president, he just nodded confirmation. ETA is three minutes. The president knew that meant three minutes to find out if all that money he spent on those high-tech aircrafts was worth their price. Sir, side radar doesn't see a thing, shouted an engineer. Well, that hope was short-lived, thought the president. Maybe buying a used aircraft from the Saudis wasn't the best idea, but let's look for a silver lining, shall we? I'm sure the visibility must be nice up there. The engineer continued. We have zero visibility. Visibility is at zero. This is Eagle Eye at 370. Stop saying zero, the president thought to himself. The general with the gruff voice took control of the room again by addressing the pilot over the radio Captain, the president is listening. Repeat what you just told me. Oh, said the captain, feeling a bit on the spot. Well, I was saying how every time someone mentions Bill Pullman, I can't help confusing him with Bill Paxton. And vice versa. I mean, it's uncanny, really. But then I remember that Bill Paxton was the kick-ass mercenary in the movie Aliens, and Bill Pullman was the milk-toast boyfriend in Sleepless in Seattle. President Bill Pullman lowered his shoulders a bit, which was quite a feat considering his shoulders normally hung around his navel, and probably contributed to his milk-toast appearance. Uh, no, the general said, trying to stop him from making any further embarrassments. I, I meant about the visibility. Oh. "'Well, in that case, I was saying we have—' President Bill Pullman tightened his fists. "'Don't say zero visibility. Don't say zero visibility. Zero visibility,' said the pilot, much to the president's chagrin. In the high-tech jet fighter that now pierced the sky above them and which still had the expensive price tag dangling from the front wheel since nobody had a scissor on them when it took off, and we all know how much that plastic hurts your skin when you try and do it by hand, the captain looked out into the sea of clouds that obstructed his view.' You would think that with such a high cost, the vessel would have included some sort of navigation other than visual, but here we were, not being able to see anything, and no one really knowing what happened to the original sales receipt. Just as well, chances were the warranty had expired, since if President Bill Pullman was known for anything, it was for not ever splurging on the additional coverage. It's a scam, he was known to say, which was something he was now regretting. We can't get any sort of reading on what's in front of us, the captain yelled. The cloud cover is too great. It was at this point that the co-pilot, Henrik Johnson, said, Anybody else notice how hot it's getting in here? The captain yelled, There's no time for complaints. There's got to be a way to know what we're heading into. The co-pilot wiped the sweat from his brow, noticing that the novelty candle they kept on the dashboard, the one shaped like Major Tote from Raiders of the Lost Ark, had suddenly melted down to the nub like the character in the movie. I don't know, he said, but the temperature is rising pretty quick in here, the captain barked. I don't need a meteorologist, Johnson. I need to know what's on the other side of that cloud. Last thing we want to do is run into some sort of iceberg. As Johnson pondered how in the world he was merely a co-pilot, when this moron got to be a captain, he watched the floral wallpaper that lined the interior of the cockpit melt away from the side of the plane. I don't think ice is going to be our problem, sir. Wait a minute, the captain interjected. It may be clearing. You see anything? By now, the co-pilot had stripped down to his tidy whities and was sitting in a small blow-up pool with ducks painted on the side of it. I don't see anything, but these jiffy-pop containers we brought with us have just simultaneously exploded. Anybody want any... But before he could finish his sentence, the plane broke through the clouds and came face-to-face with a raging inferno. Popcorn! Were the last words heard from co-pilot Johnson. Although his last thoughts were, I really thought that Nazi candle would have been cooler. Back in the Oval Office, the operator yelled, Line's gone, sir! Get him back! yelled the general, unaware that everyone else in the office was pretty sure the jet was just blown to bits. The operator looked around the room, wondering if the general also thought his childhood dog had gone to live on a farm upstate somewhere, and if he now had to explain to him that the pilots were living among the clouds in a puffy kingdom where everybody spoke in hugs. Luckily, more pressing news had just come in. Two more objects have appeared on the screen. One's moving to New York! The president laughed to himself (laughs) jokes on them he thought no one moves to new york unless they're independently wealthy the rents are too high the general growled mr president i strongly recommend we move you to a secure location immediately the president turned to his communication director connie can we expect the same kind of panic we saw in russia since connie assumed the president was referring to that time in 1987 when the russians discovered that out of all the cool artists in the world It was Billy Joel who would be the first American musician to perform behind the Iron Curtain. She answered, more than likely. Suddenly, a man whose name nobody knows, but you've seen in plenty of White House briefings, said, Mr. President, we can discuss this on the way. But the president had other plans. He was sick of always being described as a second-rate Bill Paxton. Bill Paxton wasn't a kick-ass mercenary, he thought. He was the complaining private who whined, game over, man. In fact, if you wanted to get technical about it, Bill Paxton was the only actor to be killed by the title villains in the Alien, Predator, and Terminator franchises. Bill Pullman was never killed like that. At best, he was dumped by Meg Ryan on Valentine's Day on the eve of their wedding, but so what? Had anyone even heard from Meg Ryan recently? No. Bill Pullman wasn't going to go down in history as a wuss. This was his alien movie. He was gonna take the extraterrestrial bull by the horns, praying to God those were in fact horns and not some sort of alien genitalia. But honestly, at this point, it wouldn't matter. President Bill Pullman put his hands on his hips and declared, I'm not leaving. Granted, in hindsight, he wished he had said something like, bring on the aliens or game start, man. But well, that ship had sailed and another more intimidating ship was now on the horizon. We have to maintain a working government said the generic White House administrator. I'm staying, insisted the president. I don't want to add to a public hysteria that's going to cost lives. (laughs) Yeah, he thought. That was a better line. Kids all over the world would soon be putting their hands on their hips saying, I don't want to add to a public hysteria that's going to cost... Well, maybe they'd say something shorter. But the point is, Bill Pullman was back. Hell, maybe he'd even run for real political office like Schwarzenegger did. With that, President Bill Pullman turned to his communication director. Connie... "'Yes, sir. You'll initiate the emergency broadcast system.' "'Yes, sir,' she said, excited this would finally be a real emergency broadcast and not just one of those stupid tests. "'Advise people not to panic. "'The best idea right now is to stay in their homes "'and to watch the movie A League of Their Own on repeat.' Connie looked at him quizzically. "'Just do it,' he barked. The general, whose voice, again, was so gravelly, his go-to karaoke song was She's Got Betty Davis' Eyes, turned to the president and said, "'With your permission,' I'd like to remain at your side, President Bill Pullman smiled, knowing it was probably his new anti-Bill Paxton attitude that had people turning heads. I had a feeling you would, he said smugly. And what happens if they do become hostile, the general asked? Then God help us, he said, before thinking, Holy cow, I am on fire! Just try and find a quote of mine that isn't memorable. But by then, Spaceman Jack had already turned the dial of the peekabooter and was picking up conversation at a cable company in New York, where a tall technician named David was printing out a long sheet of what was either a mathematical equation using the digits zeros and ones or the chorus to the song Old McDonald Had a Farm. Well, Mario, listen to this. I got a lock on the pattern of the signal so we can filter it out, but if my calculations are right, it's going to be gone in like seven hours anyway. It's, it's reducing itself every time it recycles, so eventually it's going to disappear. Are, are you listening? Spaceman Jack rolled his eyes. Did this moron go to the same school as that dopey general? Or that stupid captain who couldn't detect a wall of flame? It's like these humans were purposely playing dumb to further the plot. David, haven't you been watching? Said a man whose voice was so gravelly, Spaceman Jack assumed that if he wasn't also a general, that he must have eaten a general, and then followed that up by gargling a glass of razor blades. Everyone at the cable company turned to the television to see Connie, the president's communication director, and for some, the lead in a failed 80s sitcom called Foley Square, speak to the country. Good afternoon, she said. So far, the objects have not caused any damage. One is headed toward Los Angeles. The other is headed to the eastern seaboard. A reporter in the first row noted, isn't that the same plan Lex Luthor used in Superman the movie? But the crowd drowned out his question. Suddenly, someone in the office approached that being with a gravelly voice that Spaceman Jack was now convinced was either an eight-foot-tall monster, a four-foot-tall frog, or a well-known homosexual. Marty, Jamie says this building has an old bomb shelter. We're heading down there now. As Spaceman Jack listened to the sound of humans rushing downstairs, he couldn't help wondering how this Jamie person even knew there was an old bomb shelter in the building, unless he'd been going down there for his own version of a whack the alien quickly chastised himself for making such an obvious joke. In disgust, he turned the dial of the peekabooter and found himself now listening to a scene in a greasy spoon, where the clientele was even greasier, made up of people no one wanted to spoon. Spaceman Jack closed his eyes. He could practically see the flies buzzing around the syrup bottles that dotted the tables. He could almost smell the burnt coffee that the crop duster sitting at the counter was using to tap down his hangover and he could definitely hear the condescension in the voice of the trucker, who was looking to make that same man feel even smaller. "'Well, look what we have here! "'Hey, Russ! Heard you had a little trouble this morning. "'Dusted the wrong field! "'I know you're probably still a little confused from your hostage experience!' "'Hostage experience!' said another loser, who wasn't really curious, "'just wanted to set up his friend's story. "'Oh, yeah!' said the trucker. "'Seems years back our boy here was kidnapped by aliens!' Spaceman Jack froze. Could it be? Out of all the humans across this vast blue planet, could it possibly be he just encountered the same rust that he had a fling with all those summers ago? Yeah, did all kinds of experiments on him and such, said the trucker. Spaceman Jack immediately took offense. I wouldn't say all kinds of experiments, he thought, just the one natural experiment that comes with curiosity when one is discovering their sexuality. Is that such a hard thing for humans to understand? I mean, weren't they the species that just one year ago made the movie The Incredible True Adventure of Two Girls in Love? Why should an interspecies relationship be any different? But the trucker persisted. Russ, when they took you up in their spaceship, did they do any sexual things to you? Sure, thought Spaceman Jack. Make it all about the sex. Don't question the love that was involved, the bond that was created, the promises that were made. But from what he could tell, Russ had not kept those promises. Clearly, he had told these yahoos about the night an all-too-eager alien made some possibly inappropriate moves on an unsuspecting Earthling. Granted, Russ could have easily me too'd Spaceman Jack, a term which in 1996 meant you were probed in two orifices, not just one. But he had not. Still, Spaceman Jack couldn't take that chance. Not when this whole planned planetary attack had been his idea, and he was now the front runner to be leader of occupied Earth. Most people thought Spaceman Jack was a shoo-in, In fact, it was said he was the kind of alien who could vaporize an entire species on Fifth Avenue and still get elected leader. So maybe now was the time to put that theory to the test, if only to distract them from Russ's accusations. And with that, Spaceman Jack put Operation Expose Ourselves into motion. Wait, was that a sexual innuendo, he thought? Damn it! Five minutes listening to these Earthlings and already he was doing it. A flip of the switch and a giant cloud appeared in the sky. But not just any cloud. A cloud so big and so distinctive, it would make even Steven Spielberg's lawyers sit up and take notice. Spaceman Jack was eager to hear if news of his indiscretions with Russ had already reached other parts of the country, so he turned the dial of the peekabooter once more and began picking up chatter in Los Angeles, where a little boy was running into his mother's room yelling, Mommy, look it! Not able to see in the actual room, Spaceman Jack could only assume the boy was pointing to a newspaper headline touting the story of Russell's intrepid affair with Spaceman Jack. Fortunately, the boy's mother simply pulled the covers up and muttered, mm, It's too early, baby, despite the fact that it was clearly 2.30 in the afternoon. Regardless, Spaceman Jack knew it was just a matter of time before talk of sex would be in the air, so he figured it was time to change the news cycle. And with that, the Earth began to rumble as Spaceman Jack moved all his ships into place. In D.C., they cast a shadow over the Washington Monument, which he was just now noticing looked like a giant penis. That's a coincidence, he thought. Then they flew over the U.S. Capitol, which in this light resembled a giant breast with a protruding nipple. How had he not noticed this before? He moved his ships over the Twin Towers, which today looked more like two giant dildos rising from Lower Manhattan. I mean, what the hell was going on? And then finally, he brought his ship to halt above the Empire State Building, the greatest phallic symbol in the U.S. of erotica. Jesus Christ, thought Spaceman Jack, referencing another Earthling he had beamed aboard from a cave years ago. No wonder these Earthlings are so obsessed with sexual innuendos. They're surrounded by monuments of genitalia. Maybe that's what makes this species so stupid. Then, as if on cue, Spaceman Jack heard that cable guy David mutter, Oh, the signal. My God. As if he was just now realizing their code was a nuclear countdown and not the E-I-E-I-O part of that old McDonald's song. Spaceman Jack was going to like ruling this planet. I mean, where else in the solar system could he murder people on Fifth Avenue, grab humans by their genitalia, interfere with the Earth's political system, and still become their leader? He laughed when he thought about their future. Game over, man, he said to himself, referencing that well-known Earthling Bill Paxton, whose exploits had reached even the farthest parts of the galaxy. Glad he's not the president of this country, thought Spaceman Jack. It might have actually been a challenge wrestling control of the world from the man who uttered the phrase, You're dead meat, Pilgrim, from the movie Weird Science. Luckily, President Bill Pullman would never come up with a line as cool as that. The best he'd muster would be something like, I guess I don't remember meeting you. Or, there's going to be a lot of frightened people out there. Or, wait, unless that was Bill Paxton. Duh! Now even he was confusing them. Well, he thought, in a few seconds it won't make much of a difference. That's the great thing about incineration, you get to kill two bills with one stone. And that, he thought, was worth quoting. Stellar.
1: Now, let's peek behind the curtain and meet someone who worked on the actual film, Independence Day. Kevin, what fascinating person did you talk to today? I'm just gonna close my eyes so I can really concentrate. And I'm gonna rest my head on this pillow so I can concentrate.
2: Hello everybody, we're back, I'm um, Kevin Carter, and this is the interview portion of The Novelizers. Today I'm here with a special person. Uh, you've heard of Sonny. you've heard of Cher, you've heard of Adele, you heard of Taylor. You might've heard of the last name Swift. This person is none of those people. This is Vic, Vic, how's it going?
4: Hi Kevin, thank you so much for having me today.
2: Thank you, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, you are the onset tutor for the movie Independence Day, correct?
4: Correct, absolutely, yes. Uh, teaching the children.
2: So, were you teaching the children that was in the movie, or the the actors and actresses' children?
4: Oh, a wonderful question. Um, I was teaching all the uh, onset actors, so all the all of our child actors, which uh, a shocking number in this film.
2: Really, yeah, because I mean I, I know about the 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 main I know is the two the uh, the black guy and the and the, and the white girl.
4: sorry, I don't know if I'm supposed to be saying this um the all of the people that played the aliens uh we mm-hmm. had trouble uh, initially we did the robots, uh, but then sort of like the shark and jaws we were having some trouble working. Mm-hmm. I say, uh, the, the production was having trouble working the alien puppets. So, uh, then we tried putting adult humans, but their hands were a little too big sort of for those, um, sort of like octopussy Things, okay. uh, so yeah. we, we ended up using children. Uh, so there was three children to a costume.
2: Oh wow! I'm, I, listen, this is uh, this is like undiscovered territory right here. I'm glad you was able to let us know on that secret. That's great.
4: Yeah. Again, I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm supposed to be saying. I'm just the tutor, right? So I, I wasn't sure. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I signed a bunch of stuff, but I'm yeah. assuming it's okay.
2: It's funny now to, to now know that because you know Will Smith was recently known for. Slapping Chris Rock, and now it's find out he punched a kid, you know, because, you know, it was a kid in a costume. So, you know, Will Small, he's all over the place. He's all yeah, over the place. I love him. Yeah, I, I,
4: I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or not. Uh, he could not get it. He could not get it. We did take after take after take, kid after kid after kid. Uh, yeah. We're really lucky. There was an elementary school next to the lot. Uh, yeah. So we just sort of went in there and uh, uh, sort of said, who, who wants to act with Will Smith? Uh, and a lot of parents were pretty amiable to that.
2: Oh great! Um, and and don't don't mind anything as far as like what you're supposed to say and not supposed to say. This is totally okay. You know, Andy even told me, he said, "Listen, I we need some juice. We need some juice in this, in the in, the, in this in this interview portion. Everybody else has been boring. We need some juice." So I'm glad you're giving us a little bit of tea right now. This is great.
4: Okay, thank you, Kevin.
2: Not a problem. So um, so what did you like? Uh, was it was it like schoolwork or something like? What did you tutor the kids on?
4: Yeah, you know, honestly, they say uh, that teaching is a lot about you teaching kids, but from what I, from my experience, it's a lot about what kids teach you.
2: Mm, mm-hmm.
4: Um, I realized, I know shockingly little about basic arithmetic, and so uh, a lot of our lessons were sort of about uh, those two main kids sitting down and sort of showing me basic addition and subtraction.
2: Okay, um... So so the the word tutor then the 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 word the word tutor sure is um it's more based on them tutoring you.
4: Yeah, I mean uh from a legal standpoint I would say mm-hmm. no, but from a very practical standpoint absolutely.
2: Okay. Did you did you ever have to um use that arithmetic that you learned from them in your anywhere on the set or anything like that to like really make sure like you learned the the lesson and stuff?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I got called into an office, I mean, perfect practical example, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I got called into an office one day, uh, and they sort of said, you minus this job equals you not having a job. Um, so uh, that was a tough lesson to learn. Uh, but I feel like yeah. that's sort of where I got to practically put that math into, yeah. into practice. So uh, just to be clear I did get fired 2 days in. Oh okay uh, the okay. Job. Yeah uh, okay. yeah which was unfortunate but hey you know what they say if at first you don't succeed try try again.
2: My, my mom always told me if you didn't succeed it's cuz you're an idiot.
4: Your mom sounds lovely. So Yeah, I mean, you know listen. For me, it didn't stop me from showing up on set every day. Um, mm-hmm. I they said, "Please don't come back," and I said, "You just try and stop me. I have tenacity." Another word that I learned um, from a couple of the kids in Alien Number no. Two's costume. So that was that was important.
2: So how did the um, how did you get along with the kids? Was it a good relationship, good working relationship with the kids?
4: So good. Really, really wonderful. Um, I it just sort of got to the point where I felt like I was one of them, mostly because mm-hmm. uh, once I got fired, I sort of started dressing up and coming back to take lessons uh, mm-hmm. because I found uh, I was learning a lot from the new teacher that they brought in. Uh, and so there were lessons that sort of practically I was needing as well.
2: So you came back like as a as a child to get to didn't get, get lessons from the actual tutor. So So the second tutor was actually tutoring the kids.
4: Yeah. So the second tutor actually did uh, have some teaching credentials. I was in the army. That's how I got the job. Uh, So it was, uh, you know, it it just ended up being one of those things where I was like, well, let's see what this person has that I don't. And it turns out a lot. uh, I did a lot of knowledge that I didn't have. So I at first I came back to sort of heckle, uh, maybe cause a little bit of mayhem in the classroom. And Mm -hmm. I ended up learning quite a bit from that teacher.
2: I I tell people all the time, uh, if you love to do it, you can make money off it. And And I'm glad I'm glad you're getting to do that. Um, you said, you did say that you were, you was in the army. Yes. Um, so I want you to talk to the audience real quick. Now, there was a moment where you was in the army sure. and then you, you're on set of Independence Day.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: What happened? Like what, how did, how did it go from army to independent, to a movie? You know, so how, how did that process work?
4: Uh, have you heard of, uh, abandoning your position
2: Yes, a lot. My uh, my, my, my ex girlfriend told me that all the time.
4: Okay, wow. Uh, so now I don't know if I'm supposed to say this. I don't know if this is a little insider information. Uh, I was positioned in Germany and I decided I was bored. And so I did go ahead and hop on a plane and I left. Uh, and I thought, where do I want to go? I want to start over. I need a new name, got a new name. Uh, it was uh, Veronica, and now it's just thick. Uh, so I, you know, I really just. Started over. Um, is is thought,
2: Veronica short for Vic? I mean, is Vic mm, short for Veronica?
4: It is not. Uh, okay, okay. I I just thought it would be. I thought it'd be fun and different, and I wanted gotcha. to be new but similar enough. You know what gotcha. I'm saying?
2: Gotcha. Gotcha. So, if I, you don't mind me asking,
4: please, what
2: is your what is your real name? We, I mean, I think I think the listeners want to know. Yeah, you said you changed your name. You know what I'm saying? If you don't if you don't want to give it to us, maybe maybe the, maybe the, uh, the, the the army's on your back. You know, so maybe maybe because hey, you, left, you left Germany, I don't know, but just want to know. I'll put, you I'll put it this way.
4: I'll put it this way. You're gonna get. You're gonna get some uh, uh, background check hits on Veronica Lipschitz, All right.
2: All right. Okay. Okay. We'll uh, we'll check that out. We'll check that out. Um, how was life uh, like growing up? did you did you um, did you always enjoy like being around kids? You know how 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 was it? Or do you like being around kids?
4: Um, have you seen uh, the movie? Uh, the Sandlot? No. Yeah, me either. Uh, but I had sort of this romantic notion uh, that all kids were going to sort of like to play baseball and be uh, mm-hmm. polite to their coach, uh,
0: mm-hmm. and
4: so I thought, how how do I get involved in that? Um, and uh, the only the only job that I got a hit for was this onset coaching, and I thought, okay, well, I think that this is something that I could be really great at. Turns out. Not so much. You miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take, or something mm-hmm. like that. Again, I did not see the Sandlot, so I don't know what that quote is.
2: Do you feel like you took some shots? Do you feel like you took some chances out there?
4: Can I be honest with you, Kevin? Always. Not enough.
2: Not enough. Not
4: enough. See, that, that's
2: the real. That's the real that we want on this show. You know, so we want we want to get into we want to tap into you emotionally into the feelings. What, 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 what are you missing?
4: You know, I I really I look at my contemporaries, President Joe Biden, and I think. I think to myself, you know, uh, what if, what if I got married to the love of my life? What if I uh, sort of just got on TV and, and said some stuff? What if I, I moved, I moved somewhere crazy, crazier than than the moves I've already made? Um, mm-hmm. And I'll just never have the answer to that because you get comfortable, you know what I'm saying? Like I feel yeah. like maybe maybe back in the day, so I I don't know what I don't know.
2: Yeah. um, I, I know exactly how you feel. You know, I've, I've, I've been going through that, you know, saying as Andy's intern, just trying to, you know, figure things out. You know what I'm saying? Like, is this what I want to do? Um, and is it what I, you want to do? I mean, I mean, I I like it. You know, so at least Andy told me I like it. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, well, you know, so if Andy says it, it must be true. So I, I, I enjoy it. You know, so it's pretty fun. You know, I get to meet people. I get to talk to people like you. You know, so... um. But I don't I don't know what's next for me. You know, so I'm writing screenplays, trying to see what happens in LA, you know, but Kevin,
4: um... that's huge. Can I give you a little bit of advice? Yes. This is some of the advice that I got the first day on set. One of the kids comes up to me, um, says, Give me your hands. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Here here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, and there is the people. And I think that's something you should maybe consider and think about, ruminate on that a little bit.
2: Yeah, that um that makes no sense to me now, but I know it's so deep it will later. Sleep on it. That's the thing. I'm definitely gonna sleep on that. I- I'm actually writing. I told you I was writing a screenplay, and like I'm always looking for people to help out. You know, what I'm saying I'm pretty sure I would need tutors on the screenplay. I mean, on the on set because you know I, the movie's about kids. You know, so the name of the, the name of the screenplay is um, "Keep That Fork Away from the Outlet." You know, what I'm saying, and, that, and that's what it's about. You know, it's about kids and Amazing. stuff like that. So and it's like, I would love for maybe you, you know, so maybe help out with the kids and stuff like that, because now you've learned, you know, so from an actual tutor. Now I think you know what to do next, you know, so they probably get you right back in the, uh, in the swing of things in the film industry.
4: Hey, I so appreciate that, and if I have any downtime from being um, secretary of the exterior, I absolutely would love mm-hmm. to come for a couple of days. And uh, you know, at the very least, maybe mentor some of your tutors, let them know some of the lessons that I've learned. Yeah, 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 uh,
2: along that'd be, the way. yeah. That'd be great. That'd be great. Hey, because maybe
4: take a lesson myself.
2: Yeah, even even after this interview, I would love so you know just get your number, and it it'd be some days where you know what I'm saying Andy got me, you know what I'm saying um, cleaning his his kitchen, you know what I'm saying without 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 cleaning gear, you know or without cleaning. You want cleaning my number, yes, Kevin? Was,
4: she, I'm married. Love to, love to, to no, the no, job no, no. i'm married to the oh, job okay.
2: yeah job can be very jealous uh i got beat up by a job once you know what i'm saying so uh it really whooped my ass but it's okay you know what i'm saying we're friends now you know, we're friends now i'm really uh, glad to hear that yeah so vic i want to thank you for an amazing amazing interview uh we learned a lot i learned a lot about myself you know listening to you and stuff so um i really appreciate you coming down and uh talking with us today
4: Kevin, thank you so much for having me. I feel like I learned a lot about you and myself also. So this has been a big day for both of us, I think.
2: That's what it's about. Uh, I have been Kevin Carter. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Mm. Wow. I learned
1: so much about um, movies and stuff. (laughs) Thank you, Kevin. Our next chapter was novelized by writer Joe Fusion and is told from the perspective of Will Smith's dog, Boomer. It's narrated by the always hilarious comedian Aparna Nancherla. Aparna, novelize us.
0: Chapter 4, Boomer's Story. Novelized by Joe Fusion. Narrated by Aparna Nancherla. From the moment of waking that morning, the warrior felt the heavy burden of this momentous day. She was Bois Knight of the Order of the Shimmering Return, and she had been selected to play a crucial role in the day's events. She had earned this great honor through many lifetimes of service to her people, reaching back to the shadowy memories of the wild times. As long as her people had been clawing their way up from barbarism, every reincarnation had put her in position to defend and fight. The name they used for themselves was the good ones. Compared to other creatures, they possessed many gifts, heightened senses, communication over great distances, and of course, reincarnation. As their civilization spread and flourished, these many lives allowed individuals to specialize in other skills. As she was a warrior, others were leaders, hunters, entertainers. The greatest among them evolved minds of such great power that their bodies withered and mutated to barely recognizable forms. And yet, they remained one people. The greatest of the thinkers, sages, and oracles formed the Council of Elders, the most respected of all the good ones. These elders rarely took on material form, instead choosing to remain in the dreaming, the transcendent space that exists between reincarnations. It was in this space where they begged her to take on her current mission. I mean, really begged. Direct contact with the council was very rare and with so much at stake, she had accepted (laughs) with gusto... Her assignment seemed simple, to guide and protect a family of the lesser creatures that coexisted with the good ones. The council saw chaos in the future, which these particular creatures would somehow help to avoid. I don't know. It was quite puzzling to her, and though she might have shown it, she knew when it was her place to speak. She'd been told clearly and repeatedly that the family needed to stay together, family values, so stay they would. The council had called her, and so she came, and she went where they pointed. So far, it was playing out like many of her other lives. She had often protected such families over the centuries, no big deal. They were dim-witted and dangerous, and yet it had been decided they deserved guidance. Her people had carefully shepherded them forward using rewards and occasional reprimands to encourage their few useful tricks. Surprisingly, the good ones had been so successful in these efforts that they now leaned on the lower creatures quite heavily. (laughs) It would be difficult to untangle the knots between their two peoples, and so she protected them as if they were her own. Well, began that morning with the offering of nutrition pellets that the family had provided. It wasn't her favorite food per se, but it was frustratingly hard to tell them such things. They never quite grasped the spoken language of the good ones and were completely oblivious to higher forms of communication. What they called speech was mostly intelligible to her, though clumsy and frequently nonsensical. For instance, they used many names for single things, such as calling themselves Merkins, Humans, and so on. The adults were Shteeb and Osmond and the pup Dinan. Other names were common. They could manage a poor approximation of her name, yet frequently resorted to other nonsense. She would have found it disrespectful if she hadn't known better. She woke the adults as she often did, then took to nudging them through their normal daily tasks. Today was the beginning of whatever was coming and she could already sense unrest among the nearby Merkins. Most were outdoors babbling and staring at the clouds, classic Merkins. From many directions and distances, she heard reports of similar behavior. It was critical that she not let her family slip into frenzy or stupor like those others. She kept the two adults ignorant, easily, until they were stable in their ruts, then began to expose them to the growing chaos outside. The child, Denun, had already been out there, but she wasn't concerned. She'd been prepping him for months, and he now depended on her for his senses of security and comfort. It was as if she could lead him around on a string. A string. Given his good sense in this matter, as well as his willingness to share food with her, she felt certain that Denon would have the pivotal role in today's events. The woman was an entertainer, which had a small chance of being helpful, Perhaps she could calm the others, though Bois understood that she wasn't highly ranked. The man, Stieb, had a job shouting with other men, which had no use today or any other day. But in keeping with their normal routines, she allowed them to go their separate ways. It was an easy decision for her to spend the day with the woman and the child. At the last moment, Stieb came dangerously close to slipping into stupidity, so... She brought them all together again, giving him time to invite them all to his den at the shouting place. Bon joined Osmond and Nunn in their mobile couch. Once they were safely on their way, she settled her mind to receive any important transmissions from the council. They would sometimes draw her attention to distant events, which she could see and hear as if there herself. This amazing ability relied on the good one's incredibly powerful sense of smell. In fact, they could smell almost twice as well as any other creature, which opened a third nostril in their minds. You heard that right, third nostril. Besides these mental trips to distant places, the third nostril was also the secret to their other mental communications, as well as their access to the dreaming. It somehow explained the reincarnations too. Expanding her third nostril, she finds herself in a room in a remote city, One rich with a million stinks. She does her best to absorb the strange scene. Two agitated Merkins babble at each other. The taller one seems to have more thoughts in him than usual and struggles to get them out of his mouth. He attempts long-range communication with another creature using the strange device that they put by their heads. The vision expands to include the person he is calling. Though they both have the devices, they don't understand each other bois en understands neither. They give up, and the tall one has the idea to go to the other in person so his wild gestures can augment his babbling. This is a pretty good idea for a merkin. Not bad. Before leaving, he watches a man shout through one of their loud windows. Then he takes off into the city where the other merkins have been overcome by the madness. She thinks his name was Babbitt. Like so many messages from the elders, it is not at all clear what she was meant to gain. Often it seems like their visions must be parts of a larger story that she is not aware of. A larger and very incoherent story. Despite this uncertainty, she rests on the moving couch knowing that she has done her job well. She is a good one, without a doubt a very good one yes she is
1: thanks aparna that's it for the novelizers today remember to follow us at the novelizers on instagram and twitter and go to novelizers.com to check out our patreon for bonus interviews outtakes and more now kevin land this spaceship
2: thanks andy and thanks to this week's guest contributors Kevin Shinnick, Joe Fusion, Vic McKellis, and Aparna Nancherla. More info about all of our guests can be found in the show description. The Novelizer was created by Stephen Levinson, produced by Steven, Chris Karwalski, Rob Kuttner, and Suchetis Bokil. Editing, mixing, and mastering by Chris. Improv booking by Christine Bullen. Music by Cole Emoff. Art direction by Crystal Dennis and illustrations by Barry Crane. Intro narration by Robin Reed. Interviews by me, Kevin Carter. Special thanks to Luke Dennis and Peter Hayes at YSO Public Radio in Yellow Springs, Ohio. Check out TheNovelizers.com for more information about the show and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and occasionally TikTok. If you enjoyed The Novelizers, please support us on Patreon or email TheNovelizers at gmail.com to sponsor an episode. Till next time, I'm Kevin Carter, Novelizers out.